Paul teaches proper conduct in the house of God, addressing those who serve as spiritual leaders as well as those who serve in any other capacity in the local church. This is God's standard for us. Let's all rise to our feet and I want you to hold your Bible high up in the air with me and let's say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His words. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please shake hands with the person next to you. Say hello to them and uh, maybe seated. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to 1 Timothy. And uh, today, we're going to spend time in 1 Timothy, the third chapter. So we started two weeks ago to study Paul's epistle to Timothy, first, the first epistle. And uh, we'll just do a quick review of the background and then get into chapter 3. It's a very short chapter, so the sermon's going to be short. <laughs> so background, Timothy worked with the Apostle Paul for approximately 17 to 18 years. He traveled with him and he worked with him for about 17 to 18 years. And uh, we, we said earlier that at one point the Apostle Paul was imprisoned in Rome. He was under house arrest there in Rome. Uh, this was about AD 65 to 66, around that time. He was imprisoned there in Rome. And then he had a brief period of release, so he went from Rome, and Timothy was there with him as well, Rome, so he, went, he was released from Rome. He traveled over to the island of Crete, and there he appointed Titus to take care of the church in that region. And then he travels up to Ephesus, which is a seaport town on the west coast of Turkey, and he appoints Timothy to take care of the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was established nine years prior to that in Paul's third missionary journey, primarily. And Paul had spent three years there in doing the work and establishing the church. And now he appoints Timothy to take care of that church in Ephesus. And as we mentioned earlier, this church uh, is also a mother church to several other churches in and around that region. The seven churches that we read about in the book of Revelation are all in that same region, very close to each other. And uh, uh, most likely were birthed out of the church in Ephesus during Paul's three-year ministry there on his third missionary journey. So after that, Paul is heading back to Rome. He travels over into the region of Macedonia on, en route to Rome. And from there, he writes two letters, which is 1 Timothy and the letter to Titus. To these young men whom he has appointed to take care of these two churches, so he writes these two letters. So that's when... First Timothy was written. And then after that, Paul makes his way back to Rome. And from Rome, he writes the last epistle, Second Timothy. And shortly thereafter, Paul is beheaded uh, uh, around AD 68. So he's writing different things that he feels are very important to tell this young man. Timothy must have been about 34, 35 years of age when he's been given this responsibility of taking care of this church in uh, Ephesus, and uh, uh, he's got other people under him who are also very strong spiritually, and uh, so Paul is writing things of importance here uh, to a leader uh, and telling him how to uh, take care of the church. So let's read chapter 3. We'll read the entire chapter through, and then we'll spend some time uh, studying it. First Timothy chapter 3, this is a faithful saying if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. 
A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but be gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. These things are right to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Now, Paul is, uh, as we saw from chapter 2, he has, uh, oh, let me back up in chapter 1, he's, you know, he's in his inter inter introduction, the starting of this epistle, he has emphasized the importance of living in love with a, with a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith, right? So he says, look, this is, this is the whole purpose of the commandment, that you live, that you walk in love, but it has to come out of a pure heart, a clear conscience and genuine faith. That's chapter one, his introduction, right? So, and then he gets into chapter two when he begins to start dealing with things in the, con in the local church. So he starts, you know, addressing, he starts off by addressing something important, the role of women, and we talked about that. Uh, but we must understand that some of the things he's addressing has also to do with the cultural, the local context in which they are living. So, we mentioned that Ephesus, and we know from Acts 19, Ephesus was a city that worshipped the goddess Diana. Diana was a Latin name, the Greek is Artemis. And this goddess had, I mean, there were several roles given to her, but this was a goddess who, uh, the, the, the women priests of this goddess, uh, they did a lot of wrong things, but, and some of the things they did was also they, uh, were very vocal about the superiority of women. Another thing that we know about the goddess Diana is that she was a goddess of opposites. Uh, she had some sort of a healing uh, virtue to her, and they believed that she would at times bless women in their children, and she was a goddess who blessed women in childbirth. But if she got angry, she would also strike the child down during childbirth, right? And these were other things. And then you can read this up, there are all historical facts, information that we have available about these Greek, or, or these gods and goddesses. And so that's the context in which Paul is writing. And, and he does not want that to come into the church of God, the house of God. So in the house of God, he says, you know, women, there is proper order. In God's government, man is ahead. And women, you walk in submission to men. But this does not deprive women from operating in all the gifts 
and the calling and the anointing that God has placed upon them. We mentioned this last Sunday. You're with me so far? And it is in that context that he's addressing this whole issue of childbearing. And he's saying, okay, women, you know, you will be saved in childbirth. You don't have to worry about this Greek goddess and all these things that they say she does. You will be saved in childbearing if you walk in the faith that you have. You understand? So he's addressed that. Now he's moving on to addressing other things in the local church. Now in the, local, in the early church in those days, there were three categories. Uh, people were in three categories. If you look at it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, I'm writing to the church in Philippi, to the saints who are in Philippi, to the bishops and the deacons. So the saints, meaning all believers. Then they were bishops and then they were deacons. Now, it's a little different these days. We have bishop, a singular, one person running the whole show. But in those days, it was multiple. Bishop, the word bishop simply comes from the Greek word episcope, or another version of it would be episcopus, uh, which simply means a spiritual leader, somebody involved in spiritual ministry. Somebody having spiritual leadership and giving input in spiritual things in their lives, in the lives of God's people. That's the word bishop, a spiritual overseer. Somebody having oversight of the spiritual life of the church. So if you look at Acts 20 and verse 28, that same word bishop, episkopos, is used in Acts 20 verse 28 where Paul writes and he's talking to the, spirit, the elders, the people in spiritual leadership from the church in Ephesus in Acts 20 verse 28. He says, take heed to the church of God among whom, uh, to shepherd the church of God, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseer, bishop. He's talking to all the elders. All the elders, says, all of your bishops, you're all spiritual overseers. And what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to shepherd, take care of the church of God, God's people whom he has purchased with his own blood. So there, is, there are people in the, in the local church who are involved in the spiritual ministry of the church. So the word bishop would include like our children's church pastor, our, those who are teaching in children's church. Uh, those who are serving in worship, a worship pastor, a youth pastor. I mean, all these people, life group leaders, all these people are having in, at certain levels spiritual responsibility and spiritual leadership in the church. Are you with me? You all come under that same category, bishops, spiritual overseers. Tell your neighbor, congratulations. <laughs> right? Bishop simply means a spiritual overseer. Somebody who's involved in the spiritual ministry of the church. Then there is the other category that he refers to as deacons. So deacons are simply people who are responsible for any administrative, organizational support, help function in the church. It began there in Acts chapter 6 where they had to find out seven men who were filled with the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, but their role was to serve food to all the people. They were helping in the church, and their role was to serve food every day. And it grew out of that context where deacons are those who are serving in any capacity uh, in a support function and helping an organizational administrative aspect of the church. Now, we also know that those who are deacons, does not just because somebody's a deacon doing that help function, does not mean they are not spiritual or does not mean that they cannot be involved in spiritual ministry. Because we know that uh, these deacons in Acts 6, Philip and uh, Stephen, were men who were full of faith in the Holy Ghost and God used them to work signs and wonders. God used Philip to go and start a church in Samaria. So although they were deacons, although they were active in a help function of the church, they were also involved in spiritual ministry. You with me? So broadly speaking, people are, are, are under that spiritual leadership ministry or doing uh, support functions, and he's addressing them in this chapter. So he starts talking to bishops. Let's read it from, that's verse 1 through verse 7. Bishop, people who are uh, anyone providing spiritual leadership, anyone involved in spiritual ministry, if you're teaching the word, if you're caring for people, you're leading a life group, uh, you're in worship ministry or some, anything. This is for all, all people involved in that. What does he say? 
Verse 1, this is a true saying. If anyone desires the position of a bishop, a spiritual leader, a spiritual overseer, he desires a good. If you desire, so if you have something in your heart saying, I want to do something spiritual to help people in their spiritual lives. He said, you're doing, you desire a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Don't quench that desire. It's a good thing. If you have the desire in your heart to help people spiritually, it's a good thing. If anyone desires this, it's a good thing. But look, here are some standards. Here are things that God expects of spiritual leaders. Verse 2. A bishop, a spiritual overseer, a, bishop, a spiritual leader must be blameless. Meaning live a life which people can't find fault with. Be blameless. Live right. The husband of one wife, temperate, that is self-controlled, sober-minded, stable, and emotionally stable, of good behavior, not childish behavior, of good behavior. Hospitable. Able to teach. You notice that in this entire set of requirements, only once he mentions anything that has to do with their giftedness or with their gifting. Able to teach. Only once. All of the rest of the time, he's dealing with who you are as a person. The kind of life you live. That's important. That's God's standard, God's requirement to be a spiritual leader. And, uh, uh, you know, in the church today, unfortunately, we emphasize so much on the giftedness of a person. And, and that's okay. Of course, you need people who are gifted and who have, you know, callings and giftings and all of that. That's fine. But we must also look at Scripture and say, look, this is also a very important requirement for somebody to be in spiritual leadership, to lead God's people uh, in spiritual matters. This is important. Are you with me? We need to hold people accountable to this. And we need to hold ourselves accountable to this. This is God's word. I can't just put my gift on display. And of course, God will use the gifts to bless people. But I need to hold myself accountable to God's standard, to God's requirement of somebody who wants to minister in spiritual things. Verse 3, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Now, you know, some of us would read the first part of that verse which says, not given to wine, not addicted to wine, so a little wine is okay. You know, that's what people would say, but like I've said in, uh, in, you know, in earlier sermons, as far as our leaderships, our standard is concerned, it is zero wine. <laughs> now, I'm not enforcing our standard on you, but our standard, the standard we've set for our leadership team, for us, is, now I know other parts of the world, they may look at it differently, but you know, we have reasons why, and I've explained it in, in times past, I'm not going to go over that again, but this is important, you don't want to, you want Leaders to come drunk to church. Oh God. God help us, you know. So I know I'm just making fun of it, but you know, so just stay away from all of that. So our, as far as our leadership concerned, that's that's our stance. Not violent, they don't punch people in the face <laughs> and all those things. They're gentle people. Not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. So, you know, these are things you've got to look for in the lives of spiritual leaders. They don't get into fights with people. They're not greedy for money and things like that. Now, we have to admit that in the church, this area has been pretty lax. We've tolerated these things. And, you know, it's okay as long as a man can preach well and, you know, make people happy and do all that. We kind of overlook these things. But I think it's so important in the house of God to have these standards. As far, as far as we're concerned, we hold the people in our teams and in the churches that we have responsibility for. We hold them responsible for these things. Because we take these things seriously. Verse 4 and 5. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. 
For a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Having your own family uh, in order. This is so important. Yesterday I was meeting with a young man, uh, just spending some time. And he asked me, he said, Pastor, you know, you've been uh, in ministry for this thing. What are, the, you know, what are some of the key things you would tell you know, you would like to share with me. And I said, the first thing, I, of course, I thought for a while, two uppermost things in my heart, I, I shared with him. I said, the first thing is this, for ministry, you've got to have a strong family. You've got to have a strong home. Because if you have a strong family, then out of that, you can minister. Your family can either make or break you in ministry. So that was the first thing I told him. Because he wasn't married, so he said, yeah, I'll understand that a little later. <laughs> but that's the first thing. And uh, the next thing, of course, was the work of the Spirit. And I explained to him a little bit on that. And, um, so this is important. As, as spiritual leaders, uh, it's a challenge. I'm not saying it's easy. But we need to bring focus to where the Word of God tells us to be focused on. Get back. Get your family together. Keep it strong. Because out of that, you're in, when you do that, you're in a place of strength to then minister to others. And I understand there is a balance. Because on the other side, Jesus said, If any man does not forsake his father, mother, wife, children, and follow me, and take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. So most of us look at that and say, Okay, bye everyone. <laughs> I'm going to ministry. <laughs> and we don't read First Timothy 3, which says, Hey, you got to take care of your house. So there's two sides to the same coin. Yes, you want to be a disciple. On the one hand, you cannot have your affections for your family, your wife, your spouse, uh, your spouse, your children, supersede your love for the Father, for God. And yet on the other hand, you've got to fulfill your responsibility in the house. So there are two sides to the same coin. And so Paul says, you know, that's important for a spiritual leader. Verse 6, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall in the same condemnation as the devil. In other words, don't take a new believer and make him up, put him in the position of spiritual leadership. Give him time. Let him grow. Let him, you know, take small response. Let him grow up. And you let him, you know, take time to grow. And then you put him into a place of spiritual leadership. Let him not be a novice, meaning a new believer. What will happen? If you take a new, a new believer and just put him up in a, in, in a place of great spiritual responsibility, he could be filled with pride. And then he falls, just like how Satan fell, and he comes under the same condemnation. He is cast out of the presence of God because God resists the pride. So when you walk in pride, you're disconnected from the presence. That's exactly what happened to Satan. So he says, so as, as, as a leader, you've got to be careful how and when you elevate people and put them up in position of leadership. And sometimes we do more harm than good by elevating people too quickly when it comes to spiritual leadership in the house of God. And they get hurt, they fall, they get into pride. And, 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 and if we had just been better stewards of what God was doing in their lives, we'd have helped them grow and progress correctly uh, in a way that will not be uh, dangerous uh, for their walk with God. And so we're careful about that as well. Somebody can be very gifted, very talented, uh, 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 very anointed, but we still take time because we need to see strength and stability and maturity in their lives for this reason here in verse 6. Verse 7, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So not only must he have a life that has a good report among believers, among the church, but his life among the unsaved, those who are outside the church, they should also have a good report of him. That's also important. Right? So I'm not saying that, uh, you, know, they, you know, people outside may criticize the faith. That's okay. They may not understand the faith. But our lifestyle, the way we live, must be faultless, even before the world. Are you with me? That's a requirement, to be faultless. They should not be able to find some fault uh, with the way a spiritual leader lives his or her life. 
so have a good report of those outside why otherwise if he is disgraced by people from outside the church the devil could use that as a trap and ensnare him if they are pointing for, finding faults if they condemn the devil can use that as a trap now if you look historically in the life of the church you've, we've seen great ministries collapse overnight when the world found fault so, and this is especially the U.S., uh, some of you, those of you have been familiar with things happening there, you know, a, a great minister, wonderful ministry, but maybe, you know, one of the TV channels will investigate and will just report one incident. And you know, there are several cases like this, but they just, it is the world's reporting some wrongdoing. The next thing you know, his whole ministry goes, it's gone. Why? Because he was disgraced, not by the church first, he was disgraced by somebody in the world, but the world found something actually wrong, especially in the area of handling finances. And when they expose that, he's disgraced, and what happens? It says it becomes a snare of the, the devil uses that to bring him down, or bring her down. So, it's important that we live right, not only before the sight of God, not only in front of the church, but also out in the world. Now, verse 8. Verses 8 through 13, he's talking to deacons, meaning to anyone who's serving in the church in any capacity, uh, with any support function, any help function. You may not be necessarily a spiritual leader, but if you're a deacon, you're helping. So that includes, you know, all of us who are serving like ushers. If you're arranging chairs, this is for you. <laughs> if you're doing setup, this is for you. If you're serving you know, uh, in the, as, as greeters out there, or you're in the connect team, or whatever you're doing, anything you're doing, this passage is for you, right? So let's see what he says about deacons, those who are serving. Likewise, deacons, deacons must be reverent. Reverent means respectful. Right? So you be respectful of the house of God. You be respectful of, of, of the things of God. And not and not double-tongued. So you say one thing here. Oh, pastor is such a nice man. God, the pastor is a terrible man. <laughs> Please. Not double-tongued. You're not speaking two different things. Not given to much wine. And our stand for deacons is the same as a stand for bishops. <laughs> Zero wine. Not greedy for money. See, he's talking the same things for bishops or deacons. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure Now this is the third time he's repeating this. Chapter 1, twice he said, you've got to have faith with a clear And again he's repeating, chapter 3, even for deacons, he says, look, look, you've got to have your faith with a clear That means your conscience must be clear all the time. And what did we explain that as? That means you've got to live right before God and before man. Only then you can have a clear conscience. So he says, you've got to, deacons, you've got to keep your, have, a, have your faith with a clear conscience. So even when your spiritual leaders are not watching over you, your conscience is holding you accountable. And the fact of the matter is, spiritual leaders cannot be always watching over you. They're not police dogs. <laughs> they can't. But what can deacons do? What can people do? Your own conscience will hold you accountable. Live right before God, before man, all the time. So have your faith with a clear conscience. Verse 10. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Now notice it says you've got to have tests in the house of God. So man, I thought I had tests only outside. <laughs> in school, college. But he says, in the house of God, let these first be tested. In other words, even in, 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 in handing over functions, help and support areas of the ministry, you first prove people. You give them small things. See how they do that. You know, things that are not so big and uh, not, you know, even if they make a mistake, it's okay. It's not going to hurt too many people. And so you give them those kinds of things. Let them, you know, Get, get into that. And, and you see, you watch. Uh, watch their attitude. Do they come, you know, next day with a collar and everything? I'm a deacon. <laughs> or do they just do it humbly and lovingly and with a good heart? And are they committed to it? Are they pursuing excellence? So you look at all these things. Test them. 
And we do that here. So when people want to serve, you know, usually say, you know, why don't you start as a volunteer? So no, 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 I want to be the, no, 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 no. Just start as a volunteer, just serve. Just plenty of places to serve. start serving. And so we watch, how are they doing it? Are they committed? Are they doing the cheerful heart? Are they serving people with the, with the heart of a servant? Are they doing that? So this is very biblical. You test them, see how they do that. And then you elevate them into positions that are recognized as deacons and so on uh, and, and bring them up um, once you found that you know, they are blameless. And verse 11, and he repeats some of the things he said for bishops, likewise their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Again, take care of your house. So even if you are not necessarily in a spiritual ministry, but you're serving in church, your family is important. Take care of it. Those of you who are married. Verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So if you do well as a deacon, he says there are two things. You Obtain, you earn. So this is something you earn. It's not given. It is something you earn because of your track record, because of what you do, how you've served as a deacon. Those of who served well as deacons, they earn for themselves a good standing. Meaning now they are men or women of stature before God and man. People now say, so I like that person. He's really good, really committed. They have a good standing before God and man. They have good standing. And they have great confidence. Now they can be bold. They can be confident about their faith. About who they are as believers. Who they are in Christ. They have confidence. And they are able to you know, provide leadership. And do things out of a place of strength. Why? Because they have a track record. You with me? Some are saying yes. <laughs> For those who so well. Who have served well as deacons, obtained for themselves a good, a good standing, great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verses 14 and 15. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So Paul says, look, I'm writing these things. Why am I writing these things? Because... We need to know how to conduct ourselves in the house of God. So there is a proper way to conduct ourselves in God's house. And Paul says, you know, uh, he expresses his hope, which actually was never fulfilled. He says, you know, I'm writing these things, but I'm hoping I'll come and see you personally. Uh, uh, you know, but uh, that actually never happened because he went to Rome and that was it. But he wrote this letter and he says, I'm writing so that you will know how to conduct yourself. There's a proper way to conduct ourselves in the house of God. And we must all understand that, you know. And uh, as a pastor, and I think other pastors will also uh, affirm to this, that we've had to deal with difficult situations. And sometimes uh, we've had to discipline, we had to correct, we had to get people back in line. No, 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 not like that. Come back like this and do this and do this. And why do we do that? Because there is proper conduct in the house of We've got to watch over the house of God to make sure there is a God, God's standard is maintained. There's a proper way to do things, proper conduct. Now in verse 15, he refers to the local church with these three things. He says that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. So the local church is called the house or the family of God. So we are a family now, in a family, you have little children, you have sons and daughters, and then you have fathers and mothers. Now, little children have all the grace. Right? They can run around, throw their toys around, make noise, cry, this, that. Hey, grace. Now and then you just say, please don't make so much noise. But... Children have grace. Lots and lots and lots of grace. They're free to do what they want and all of that. But then children don't remain children forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> they have to grow up and become sons and 
Now, when you become sons and daughters, clean your room, keep your things in place, cook some rice, <laughs> do this, do that. There is some responsibility that, that comes on you as a son and a daughter. You're grown up a little bit. You're young adults in the house of God. And so, you, you know, things change. The dynamics change. What is given to you, what is expected from you. So, Pastor, one year ago you were so nice to me. <laughs> but now why are you so strict? Hey, hopefully you've grown up now. That grace for being a child is over. Now you're a bit getting you ready to be a young adult in the house of God. So we need to groom you up. We need to let you know what it's required. And there are, there's responsibility you carry, but there's also behavior that we expect. Changes that we expect. But again, you don't remain a young adult forever. You now grow up to be a father and a mother. What do fathers and mothers do? They shoulder responsibility. They take care of children and they take care of sons and daughters. So how do you know if you're a father and a mother? You're not waiting for somebody to come and change your diaper. You're changing somebody else's. That's a sign. <laughs> that you are now a father and a... So you see, as believers, we're the house of God, in a house of family, as people in all stages of growth and development, but we've got to keep growing. We've got to keep transitioning. We've got to be moving out of childish ways, becoming young adults, and then moving on to becoming fathers and mothers in the house of God. So some of us need to understand that. That, look, when I was a child, Pastor Jacob would come and change my diapers. <laughs> or, you know, he would come and take care of me. But it's time I grew up and became a father and a mother. I'm not waiting for people to take care of me. I am taking care of other people in the house of God. I'm looking out for other children. I'm looking out for other sons and daughters to nurture them, help them grow up. Just as somebody helped me grow up, I'm helping them grow up. That's the house. That's a family. The second thing he says about the church, about the congregation, he says, the church of the living God. The word ecclesia there is referring to a people who've been summoned, who've been called out, called together for a purpose. That's ecclesia. So what is the church? The church is a people who've been summoned, who've been called out and called together for a purpose. So we are a people. We've been called out, called out of the world. We've been called together, but we've been called together for a purpose. We've been summoned together for a purpose. So there is a call upon us as a family, as a church, and each one of us have been called uh, to carry our things, to do things, and we must go together, not pull in different directions, but let's flow together. The vision, the call that God has upon us as a congregation. And lastly, he says, we are the pillar and ground of truth. The church is the upholder of truth in society. That means we must walk the truth, we must know the truth, walk the truth, be the truth, live the truth. We must uphold truth in this world. In a world that's full of compromise, in a world where truth is distorted, you know, we have this new thing called fake news, all kinds of things that big people put up online, say things, and all of that. This one place where we know there will be truth found, the truth will be found, it's the house of God. We are upholders and bearers of the truth. And then Paul closes off by saying, this is it. What is the truth we're supposed to uphold? What is the truth that we embrace as a, as a community, as ecclesia, as a people of God? This is it. He says, great. Verse 16, without controversy, there is no argument against this. There is no doubting. There is no uh, discuss, discussion on this. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This is a secret that, was, uh, that, that has now been revealed, the mystery. It's unveiled uh, of religion, it's of what we pursue, the godly life that we pursue. Great is the mystery of godliness. What is it? God was manifested in the flesh. Now, no... Anything that does not agree with that is not Bible. God was manifested in the flesh. So we have 
certain groups that even call themselves Christians, but they don't agree that God was manifest in the flesh. They will say, no, you know, another spirit being was manifested, another created being, this, all of that. No, no, no. God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was raised up in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. He was received up into glory. So the incarnation... His life on earth, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, the preaching of, of, of his gospel. This is without compromise. This is the truth that the church upholds in this world. Amen? That Jesus Christ came into this world. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose up again. He's ascended into heaven. He's glorified. He's alive. And that's the message we proclaim. There is no controversy about this. And this is the truth that we uphold in the world. So the key takeaway this morning is simply this. There is a proper way for us to conduct ourselves in the life of, in the church of God, in the house of God. There's a proper way to come. And we must hold ourselves accountable to the standards that God has set for his house. We hold ourselves accountable to that. Say, God, this is what you want of me as a spiritual leader or somebody serving in the house of God. This is what, give me the grace to live by that. And it's not for one day, but it's our entirety of our life. We live by that. We ask God for the grace to live by the standards he's set for people in the house of God. I'd like to take some time for us to pray and call our worship team up, please. And as you remain seated, I just want you to take a few minutes, please, just to pray about what you heard and um, you respond you say God as I am part of this church this congregation it's not about this congregation it's about your words the standards you've set in your word for those who serve there be there are many here who desire to be spiritual leaders who have spiritual ministry there are many of us here who are serving and who will be serving in administrative, organizational areas, help and support to the church. Regardless, God has, regardless of exactly what we do, God has given us these standards and, and we've read about them this morning. Would you pray and say, God, give me the grace to align myself to it. In the house of God. And Lord we pray. That you will help us as a church community. To align ourselves to your words. That all of us who serve. Will hold ourselves accountable. To these standards. That you have set for us. We thank you Lord. In Jesus name. Amen. This morning, before we close, I, uh, I would just like to minister to towards a specific need I feel the Lord wants to address this morning. And uh, I will describe maybe the picture, but uh, you understand it. And if you understand it, you relate to it, then I really want to just you know, give us time here to, uh, to minister. And I'd, uh, I definitely will ask our life group leaders to come and just pray. What I really feel is that uh, God wants to deal with uh, issues that, that actually have to be dealt with by the root. And I feel uh, a lot of it has to do with emotional issues, but this could also apply to physical conditions. Now, let me talk about the spiritual side. You know, uh, sometimes, and I, I'm not a medical person, but... Uh, there are times when, you know, there's a tumor or a growth and the doctor says, you know, the physician say, look, we can't even do surgery because it has gone into the system so much, we can't even deal with the roots. Usually when you try to take something out, you try to get it off by the root and just the whole thing. But sometimes it's gone so far that we can't even deal with it. And sometimes, uh, even in our emotional areas, in a manner similar to this, there can be hurts, there can be wounds in our emotions that the roots that, that, that the roots have to be dealt with. And it's so difficult sometimes even for a counselor to deal with. I'm not against counseling. We have counselors. We encourage people to go for counseling and all of that. 
But God is able to take things out by the rules. In one instance, one instance, the whole big thing that's troubling you can be taken out by the root. God is able to lay the axe to the root of things. So this morning, I, I just feel that God wants to minister in that direction for people who feel that, look, I need something taken out of my life by the roots. Whether it's physical or spiritual, that's up to you. And that's between you and God. You know what needs to be done. But I believe God wants to minister that way. I believe God wants this morning to take things out of our lives by the roots. Things that we've been battling with, struggling with. Sometimes we've even put up with it. It's okay, I'll handle this, you know. But this morning, I just believe that God, by His Spirit, by His grace, would really touch us in such powerful ways that things will come off by the roots in an instant. By His grace, God can do those things. And uh, we're going to take time to pray and minister along that line. And uh, if you're here this morning, you would like to be ministered to in that area. Once we close, we'll go into a time to minister that way. And our life group leaders will be up here to pray. Those of you who want to come and pray for others, uh, you're most welcome to come and stand here and praise the people. We'll all pray. We'll all minister. And God, by His Spirit, will flow. God will do the work. But please, I, I, I want to encourage you to take, capture this moment. I don't always understand it why, but there are times when God says, I want to do something very specific. I want to do this. Sure, he, he can do everything, but there are times he says, I want to do this. I want to do this. And that's why we, we, we go in that line. We go in the direction that God wants to move. And uh, if you will respond and say, yes, God, to that, I'm sure he'll be faithful. He will do it. So let's rise to our feet, please. And I'll call our ministry team, pastors, life group leaders. If you want, if you'd like to minister this morning, I just ask you to come and stand in front and face the audience. And uh, we'll transition into this time of ministry. Uh, at the same time, I will pray and dismiss us so that those who need to go are free to go. But those who would like to come and receive ministry, we will be here just to minister to you. Maybe take another 10, 15 minutes and uh, just minister to those who would like to be ministered to in this area. So let's just do that. Father, we just welcome the ministry of your Holy Spirit this morning. That things will be taken out of our hearts, our lives, our emotions, our bodies by the roots. Just pulled out, plucked out, taken out by the roots. And that people will experience God, the healing that you bring. That, that work which only you can do in our lives that truly this morning people will experience that Father we thank you thank you thank you we're going to close but we will continue on into this time of ministry we'll close so that those who need to leave you're free to leave the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to worship. The worship team will lead us. I would call our life group leaders. Please come. Please stand here. If you'd like to pray for people, like to minister to people, then 
those who needs to be would like to be ministered to the ushers will be here to guide you you can come to any one of us here and just receive ministry expect god to do things in your life this morning expect god to just touch you powerfully thank you god thank you We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website, apcwo.org, for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.